The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 180. If it sounds this morning like I'm uh, uh, stuck in a small van on the side of a windy mountain, it is because I am indeed stuck in a small van on the side of a very, very windy mountain. Well, right now it's quite calm, but if you hear some background noise, that is why. Um, anyway, guys, if you are struggling with OCD or anxiety, then you can get a free session with me to get that. All you need to do is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com, and there you can leave me a message and we can arrange that free session. In today's podcast, we are going to be discussing uh, moral scrupulosity. Now, moral scrupulosity can affect all sorts of people, um, not just people who are who have uh, a belief in a religion. And it's actually something that really shows up in many different areas of OCD. So I wanted to, to speak to somebody who knows about this. So I got in touch with the OCD therapist, uh, Justin Hughes, who's been on the podcast before. Um, he has a lot of uh, a lot of experience in this area. So just to tell you a little bit about Justin, uh, Justin K. Hughes, MALPC, is the owner of Dallas Counseling, uh, PLLC. Um, he is a clinician and writer and is passionate about helping those impacted by OCD. His treatment approach utilizes CBT with ERP and techniques from other approaches, uh, including ACT, MI, and CT. A common contributor to the field of OCD treatment through writings, live streams, conferences, and more. He serves on the IOCDF uh, Faith Task Force and is the Dallas Ambassador for OCD Texas. Working with a diversity of clients, he is also a dual trained, uh, sorry, he's also dual trained in psychology and theology, uh, regularly helping Christians who seek to integrate faith. You can check out his website, which is www.justinkhughes.com. I think you'll find this is a really important topic, a really important area for, for many people who are struggling with OCD. So um, I really do hope that you, you find it helpful. Um, as always, if you have any questions, then do please let me know. And many thanks. Hi, Justin, and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much. Happy to be here, Robert. Yeah, it's great to, to get you back on. And um, it was really interesting to, to talk to you last time. Um, and I really wanted to, to get you back on because I've been having a lot of questions um, to do with uh, scrupulosity, moral scrupulosity and, and OCD. And obviously, uh, you know, you're someone who uh, has a lot of, uh, a lot of experience of, of working with people with, with these kinds of, of problems. So you seemed uh, like the perfect person to, to get on for it. Thanks. Yeah. And it's interesting to be here. Uh, I mean, the whole story of specializing in OCD is 
one uh, unexpectedly, um, not actually having OCD uh, myself and whatnot. And so then uh, the story even further and getting into the scrupulosity or faith in OCD is, is also interesting because uh, it's kind of a second layer down uh, of, of things that I wasn't necessarily seeking uh, of my own accord, but really I've fallen in love with the people and the work. Uh, and then the, the theme is particularly interesting as well. Fantastic. So could you, could you kind of define to us what, what is moral scrupulosity, please? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I noticed that you put the moral and scrupulosity together right there. That's good. <laughs> uh, well, so it always has to start with the definition for us uh, of OCD. Um, so scrupulosity has had many different uses and I think still does. Uh, and none of those are necessarily wrong, just like obsession can be used in a lot of different ways appropriately, but what we mean in OCD is something very distinct. Uh, so I could accurately say, oh man, I've been obsessing on this decision of which car to buy. Uh, gas prices are really high. Do I go ahead and buy the hybrid or the electric? Or yeah. And there might be a little bit of pleasure in there. There might be a little bit of fear in there. It might be any number of things. And in a broad sense, it would be completely appropriate to say obsessing. Uh, but in OCD, we're specifically saying, of course, that an obsession is a recurrence, unwanted, intrusive uh, thought, urge, image, impulse. Uh, it, it, it's distressing to the sufferer. And so with that definition of obsession, then we can also understand that when we're talking about scrupulosity in OCD or moral scrupulosity, uh, it, it's actually pretty simple. If we just start from there, it's uh, a moral topic or a faith or a spiritual topic, uh, something of our beliefs, uh, could be worldview, philosophy, uh, that is intrusive. It's unwanted. It's uh, recurrent, persistence. It causes distress. Um, so, for example, um, thinking about a volunteer opportunity and quote-unquote obsessing between two options. Well, do I do this? Do I do that? You know, should I do something more hands-on or should I do something uh, virtual or, or fill in the blank? There might be some anxiety and fear there, but to make it an obsession in OCD, it's going to have to fit the criteria uh, and we're typically going to see, or not typically, we are going to see compulsions to neutralize those. Uh, but especially with scrupulosity and moral scrupulosity, um, they're going to be mental, they're going to be internal. Another person may not know it unless if it gets particularly severe. Um, uh, a lot of times sufferers walk around with no one having any clue. So uh, obsessions, recurrent persistent, intrusive, unwanted, cause anxiety, and of a moral scrupulous nature, topics of morality, faith, religion, spirituality. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and so someone who's really struggling with, with this type of, of OCD is obviously going to be um, in a very difficult um, spot because, you know, maybe they're really questioning if if what they're they're thinking about is kind of necessary in a way you know mm -hmm. if if it's something related to their morals or their faith 
it can it can feel very pressing i imagine to to really i mean in all types of ocd it feels very pressing to try to figure it out to try to analyze and work something out but i imagine with with scrupulosity it's potentially even stronger that that feeling because there's an element of of faith or or morals there that that really Mm. get people to to feel like they have to do something about these things that are concerning them yeah yeah and that's an an interesting thing talking with clients especially clients who suffer with many themes and working with this uh i've i've learned to say um that uh any theme can be extraordinarily difficult um bring tremendous suffering you can feel uh urgency at the same level but we also know that each subtype has some distinctive qualities you know, like mm. for example shame uh doesn't really come up a lot in uh some subtype themes but if we actually look at you know the the sexual obsessions oh my goodness shame mm, absolutely yeah. baked in right yeah. and actually i discovered recently hey this is why we need research I only assumed that contamination probably didn't have a lot of shame just because of the insight, right? To be able to say, well, I know I shouldn't, you know, wash my hands 10 times after, you know, touching this door. Um, But actually shame is uh, indicated as a a predominant emotion felt with contamination uh, higher than some other categories. Now, definitely the harm obsessions, it's really high on the shame. Uh, And so these, these subtypes really make make a difference in, in the piece that though i want to highlight of what you just said like kind of that felt mm, pressure or urgency a lot of times i've come across folks where if we're doing a contamination exposure it's just a little quicker a little easier to wrap their mind around sitting for a moment that as long as they don't have to go somewhere as long as they don't have to go touch their car or all their clothes or whatever else uh, most people, just in my experience, can kind of sit with that for however long that session is. However, when it comes to some of these moral and scrupulous um, obsessions, uh, let's take it's a really, really common one uh, for, for Christians, especially uh, evangelical Christians would be uh, this question of if I, what if I haven't really, really believed in Christ? What if I'm cast into hell? And uh, sometimes there's such an urgency. Catholics talk about mortal and venial sin. Uh, there can be such a felt urgency that it's actually hard to be able to even carve out five minutes to talk about it because the compulsion and the obsession is just so close together. Nope, can't tolerate it. Absolutely not. There's just such a high level of intolerance of uncertainty because if, if there's no space for this, if okay, fine, I'll, I'll wait five minutes, 10 minutes to sit with this. No, like sometimes the person's just like, Mm-mm, I can't do that. And it mm. feels urgent. Yeah, absolutely. And what are some of the, the most common compulsions that, that people struggle with when, when they are getting lost in scrupulosity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, prayer is a big one. Um, and prayer, of course, looking very differently. Um, one of the men who trained me in OCD specialization um, had said, compulsive prayer is not prayer, it's a compulsion. And that was just kind of watershed for me. Now, personally, as a, a 
men of faith, like I, I believe that God uses anything <laughs> and can hear us or in despite us, <laughs> uh, and not to you know, get into my personal beliefs uh, bunch, but um, that being said, it's it's something that is an important distinction. If I'm compulsing, I'm compulsing, and compulsive prayer uh, is it can be a little bit more obvious, of course, to the outsider sometimes. But it's it has to be rigid. Uh, I have to feel a certain way. A lot of times, it's going to come down to the feelings of something. So it could literally be any uh, any action or behavior or spiritual discipline. Like I have to feel a certain way. So if you actually hold the person to what the principle is, or let's say it's fasting, uh, you know, fasting during Ramadan. We're just wrapping up with Ramadan here, uh, or uh, fasting for for Christians. Uh, they may be able to say, um, oh, yeah, no, it's totally fine. I get it. It's like I don't need to um, go past this certain point. But if they get a feeling like they didn't do it right, if they get a feeling like it needs to be longer, uh, frankly, it can be any sort of moral or spiritual practice, discipline, thought process, reading scripture, uh, anything, absolutely anything. Mm. OCD, baby. That's <laughs> OCD. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's really interesting what you were saying there about uh, the praying. So how, you know, somebody might might pray compulsively, you know, to the point of, you know, they've been there for half an hour, an hour, an hour and yeah. a half. And, yeah. you know, it's no longer about the actual praying. It's about something it's about something else. No, it's about trying mm. to remove as we often, or as it yes. often is with OCD, mm. trying to remove all doubt, trying all doubt. To, to, yep. to completely get rid of that, that fear and uncertainty. Yeah, um, right. You know, and, and actually, is that actually even prayer in a way anymore? If you're, <laughs> if you're doing that? Yeah, exactly. And obviously it's not, for uh, for me to, to judge what is prayer or not but when i walk with sufferers and i throw that uh it's really kind of a a good socratic question to ask um like is this prayer is it at least on your side like god hears this but is it ceasing to be prayer in the definition um of prayer and and i trust we're going to get into this here today but those cognitive components and having a person really get down into the actual thought and belief. Uh, we have to be always careful with OCD in doing that, but it requires more of that work in OCD. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And, and also I want, I wanted to kind of ask you, because I know it can be very, uh, re very challenging if you're, if you're stuck um, struggling with this, what are, what are some of the best things that, that people can do? Obviously ERP is, you know, the, the kind of uh, gold standard approach for, for dealing with, you know, all types of OCD. Mm. Is it the, the same approach with uh, scrupulosity? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So far as we know, um, with, uh, oh, and one clarification a second ago, I said the, the need with the, the cognitive piece with OCD. I was meaning to say um, with scrupulosity, we know that there, we have to do some more cognitive work with scrupulosity than, than some of the other themes. But that, that aside, just clarification on that. Okay. Um, yeah, so with, with the treatments of, of choice, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really the same 
Can we improve upon it? I hope so. Are there better options in the future? Maybe. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff that's being studied and researched, but when we put head to head in the randomized controlled trials that exist, any number of things, I mean, we've looked at relaxation training, systematic desensitization, waiting list, placebo, medication, ACT, cognitive therapy, and out of EMDR, <laughs> we have looked mm, at yeah, so many yeah. different things. A lot of people don't realize that it's already been done in the research. They, they want to keep arguing these things. And no offense to anybody who loves any other approach. Actually, if we do it with wisdom and intentionality, sometimes that is exactly what we need as an adjunct. You know, EMDR, maybe there's some actual trauma mm. or a person hasn't broken through something. They've tried everything else. Then why not? Absolutely. But when we're talking about the starting point, um, it, I understand there's kind of a values decision, of course, to that's being made by saying this, but to me, it just makes a lot of sense that why don't we just pause and not keep, in, keep making the mistakes of centuries, truly, when we actually understand what people have tried to throw at OCD throughout the history of it. And then by the time that the scientific era came about in the 1800s, um, we looked at a number, or we could look at a number of ways that people respond to talk therapy. Uh, and we now can study these ways and let's keep studying them. But from a starting point, yeah, as far as the largest effect size in the research, absolutely. Uh, even with scrupulosity, um, as far as uh, the not only the most studies uh, as well, but all of the clinical guidelines, not just in the U.S., because we're a little crazy over here, right? We've got our DSM, baby. <laughs> uh, but y'all's... Uh, I love how excited you are about that. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually a trainer, uh, not for APA, but uh, trained on the DSM-5 when it came out, just kind of summary of the changes, uh, which is mm. interesting, past, past uh, clinical life, so to speak. Um, but the NICE clinical guidelines and ICE, uh, so uh, be it across the pond or over here, it's, it's still ERP. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I wanted to also ask you then just uh, to get some kind of clarity on this. Obviously, there's, there's probably many people listening um, who aren't religious, uh, who, you know, who who do struggle there with OCD and maybe there is a moral element to it. Yes. Uh, yes. Thank often, you for saying that. Often there is. Um, so scrupulosity can obviously affect people who are atheists as well. Could you can tell us about that? please? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for bringing that up because um, if, if you are listening and you're atheist agnostic, um, unsure, undefined, uh, et cetera, uh, from an OCD standpoint, uh, know that you're absolutely not alone as well. And uh, talking, talking with one individual uh, as well who uh, uh, is agnostic, they talk about just being um, overlooked. And it's interesting. We, we can appreciate that this scrupulosity piece, the faith integration, it's really been overlooked a lot in OCD. Uh, hopefully not anymore. Uh, when, when this comes out, when it launches, um, it's probably going to be in the past, but as we're recording here uh, on May 9th, the International OCD Foundation is having their second annual 
OCD and Faith Conference. It's all about um, uh, integrating faith in like, positive, meaningful ways for OCD treatment success, but also uh, where faith gets entangled. And one of the big, big emphases, uh, or it, one of the emphases really is that scrupulosity, morality, it, it comes up for anybody. And so uh, if a person is agnostic, atheist, a lot of times they can feel even more alone because nobody's really talking about those dynamics of how they get tripped up on that as well. So uh, as you put the moral and scrupulosity piece together in, uh, early here today, uh, a great example is that uh, am I doing this thing well enough in, in a way that is kind towards other people mm. um, that respects the humanity of another person? Uh, sometimes it can be prayer or more superstitious. I just referenced uh, before we started to record the cross your heart. You know, that that's made it into kind of an English rhyme, like cross your heart, hope to die, <laughs> stick a needle in my eye. You know, kids will talk about that. Just like yeah, don't step on a crack, fall back, to yeah. back. It, yeah. it makes it into our day-to-day -day language, but you know, kind of more of the superstitious type thing. So yeah, there's, there's that or, or like uh, the uh, turbulence on a plane and <laughs> the, the atheist, uh, feels the, the compulsive need to pray or something. Um, mm. and, uh, but a lot of times I think uh, the more common examples are what just really hits home you know, day, day to day of um, uh, am, am I making the most of, uh, of this, showing other people kindness, uh, or love, uh, et cetera. And to be fair, I'm not the greatest spokesperson for all the examples of it, but uh, just to be clear, there are many, many examples that come up for atheists. Yeah. One that seems to come up a lot uh, with, with people seems to be what you were just talking about there, but a slight kind of complication with it where people are reflecting on the past mm -hmm. and they're thinking about, you know, situations that may have already happened where they're judging their their kind of behavior you know like uh, going over yeah. how was i in that social situation was i rude to that person you know like these kind of things and then getting absolutely lost in it and because it's uh recollective it's it's memory mm -hmm. you know of course we are remembering in a way um something that's happened but we you know memory is constructive uh, you're you're building that memory and often you you can't actually remember something exactly and so the more we think about it the more we can begin to get lost in it Absolutely. and start creating things and narratives and things that perhaps never even happened and you know it seems to be another kind of complication with it potentially yeah that's that's right absolutely yeah and it kind of false memory ocd of course is maybe one of the uh, subtype examples, so to speak, uh, yeah. it, if that's distinct, like I think it fits pretty well into some of the other subtypes, but it's it's a di distinct uh, description for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm yeah. digging into this and, you know, so far if we, as we know, like we do a brain scan of the brain. Uh, I, I'm not the neuroscience guy. Don't quote me on this, but I, it makes sense to me. I was told that if you see somebody thinking about something as a memory, and scan it on the brain, like a functional um, scan, 
uh, you're going to see the hippocampus light up. You know, same region of the brain, right? And if you're thinking on it and it's something that did happen or didn't happen, <laughs> and you're still accessing the same part of the brain. Uh, I think that's a really interesting functional, not causal description, but functional to be like, yeah, like we're, uh, we're using some similar parts of the brain. And then when you also incorporate all of the doubts and the uncertainty and how anxiety. that affects yeah. memory and anxiety. Oh, yeah. yeah. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, we were also kind of discussing earlier about um, complications as well with moral scrupulosity, but on more of a kind of harm-based OCD uh, perspective. And so obviously it, it can get involved there. I mean, it just, the more you think about it, the more you realize, okay, there is actually a very large component of, of shame um, as you were kind of talking, alluding to earlier, involved in in a lot of these um, different OCD subtypes. Mm-hmm. Um, so often, I mean, I, I know this for my for myself is that you know a big part of OCD now is this this we're not really allowing ourselves to to feel certain things. So you know yeah. when when we struggle with uh, certain obsessions and feelings come up that we really don't like Mm -hmm. it's like we um i do this myself all the time it's kind of if i don't catch myself doing it but i like i i feel that feeling for a second and it's too much i don't want it Mm -hmm. and i've Mm -hmm. got to find a way to get rid of it thanks for Um, sharing that Mm -hmm. you know and and really this is where so many of of the kind of obsessions begin Mm -hmm. you know because it's uh an amazing coping tool that you have to to kind of perform compulsions in order to to mm-hmm. not feel those those emotions absolutely absolutely yeah and, and even just the appreciation for what we can do with compulsions <laughs> don't oftentimes talk about the positives of compulsions but it, when we think of the choice that we have as human mm, beings yeah there's uh, there's this incredible choice of shutting ourselves off from the world you know and maybe uh in it i think some of your guests have talked about this uh and there's more conversation around some of the other domains of ocd recovery right such as um childhood stuff trauma just to be clear i want to say loud and clear there's no causal link still at this point um between family of origin and OCD, um, but at the same time, we all are in a context, and when we treat it, we have to assess those contextual factors. And so, um, you know, a lot of times, the, the our whole humanity, body, mind, and spirit, it is part of so much of a, a bigger picture. And uh, ERP, a lot of times, what we need to do is just get in and do the basics. But then the longer road of recovery. Uh, may entail any number of things of dealing with those, those very human dynamics. I appreciate the vulnerability for you to talk about even just you know, some of the shame and, and your experience with those things uh, because we have this incredible ability to kind of close ourselves off, escape, turn our brain off. And the cool thing is if we have that ability, <laughs> we also have that ability to do the recovery stuff. And especially as we grow older and more mature, it, it, I want to offer that as just a powerful exhortation and do to my clients where uh, kind of similar to the uh, um, Dr. Eli Lovewitz and the space treatment program, 
the validation of a child. I believe in you. And second of all, let's do this. <laughs> the, we're going to focus on that. So I always want to encourage people that, yep, you can turn off your brain towards it. You can pursue the relief. But that also means that you can not do that as well, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so important. And, you know, for me, so uplifting what you were just talking about there, the fact that we have that choice um you know and it's true that a lot of these emotions that that we experience when struggling with ocd you know they're very incredibly hard to deal with but mm -hmm. but deal with them you can if you're willing to, to kind of take those um those choices the more difficult choices in the short term but mm -hmm. they lead to uh, a lot more freedom in the long mm -hmm. run Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that willingness, as you say that, um, I, I don't want to uh, turn it into me turning into the interview. I want to stay on track with your things, but I'm curious. I'm sure your audience base would love to know, too, where you found some of the willingness um, it, in times that were harder. What, what kind of pulled you forward to in those really hard moments or exposure to actually be willing to say, okay, I'm going to face this. I'm going to sit with this uncertainty. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the most important things was trying to keep some some kind of hope, mm -hmm. some kind of faith mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> in a way absolutely. that that it, it's going to be OK in the mm -hmm. end. I know I'm going to get through this. Yeah. I know I'm going to find a way through, but I I'm going to have to struggle um, yeah. through this moment. And, you know, having that sense of I'm just not going to give up. I'm going to mm -hmm. keep, I'm going to keep leaning into this. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's important. And also, mm -hmm. I think a really big part of what got me through was, you know, I, I really got into uh, acceptance commitment therapy and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, certain elements of, of ACT made a huge difference to me. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say mm -hmm. the, you know, the values part, it really got me out mm -hmm. of just kind of, the small way of thinking that I was kind of stuck in. So I was stuck in, you know, today, I don't want to feel anxiety, <laughs> you know, just like mm -hmm. quite simple. I don't want to go to places or see people or do anything <laughs> that's going to trigger the emotion that I don't want. You know, I just don't yeah. want to do it. Yeah, that's I fair. I, I have days like that. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we all have days like that, of course. But um, yeah, it's obviously when we're stuck with OCD, it's it becomes mm. chronic. And, and the more that's that we right. avoid those things, the harder it becomes. And it's this vicious cycle. That's right. And I think when I really got into ACT and I really started to focus more on values, mm. you know, and the bigger picture, okay, I don't want to go to that place. I don't want to see this person. I don't want to feel this uh, sensory motor issue that I'm dealing with um, in front of these people or whatever. Um, I don't want to be judged. I don't, all this kind of stuff that's going through your mind. Um, you know, if you can keep in, in mind, why am I doing this? Is there, uh, is there a greater purpose? You know, and what is that? What are my values that can kind of motivate me? Um, and, and that was in the end, the motivation that really kind of, you know, got yeah. me, got me moving again, instead of looking at that, that small time, you know, like just avoiding stuff, it really helped me to look at the bigger picture. Mm, I love that. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Robert. It's super no, cool. Not, not at all. Mm. Um, I also wanted to ask you whilst you're, whilst you're here, um, 
a few other questions uh, related to to faith. Um, if people are kind of obsessing about about their faith, for example, perhaps they are. <laughs> Put me in, coach. <laughs> perhaps they are losing losing their their belief in it, or you know their OCD is causing them to just mm. obsess about about their faith you know and whether they actually believe and and this kind of thing yeah what can they do if they're struggling with with that Mm -hmm. yeah yep yep principles yeah so when a person comes to the table first of all uh i'm going to just really validate um the struggle validates uh, some of the normalcy of what is experienced in OCD, you know, not keep on doing that every single session because then it's going to be reassurance, but people need to know as well. Like, Hey, you're not alone. I've got five other people this week that have talked about this, <laughs> you know, fill in the blank. Um, and, uh, so just that validation walking into it and they, they have to understand principles and, and that's part of the readiness for treatment. A person's not ready to do the treatment until uh, they have a certain amount of buy-in, you know, to that, and they kind of can grasp it or, or at least willing to try. And so, what are the principles of effective exposure? Well, um, uh, principles are: I have to be able to understand uh, at some level that I need to reduce, minimize, get rid of compulsions in the face of feeling distressed, feeling doubt, feeling uncertain, feeling shame, feeling whatever that nebulous feeling is, like I don't have faith, which is not the same as uh, uh, not having faith. So if I feel distant from God, first of all, welcome to the club of (laughs) saints throughout all of history feeling a sense of doubt at different times or disconnect. Um, a lot of my clients find a lot of comfort in the Psalms with, with that. And so uh, we want to stand on those principles of what are we doing in exposure? And still to this day, I've not found a person that as long as they were willing to sit with it and define it a little bit further, that couldn't identify just at least a little bit of an exposure in response prevention to do from a face standpoint. Now, sometimes it started really, really, really small, (laughs) but uh, we have to start from the principles of, okay, I have to tolerate a feeling of distress while not compulsing. And that's the thing. Compulsions are not the same as spiritual disciplines. They get mixed up in that. So if I'm standing on the principle of exposures, and I have an ethically sensitive therapist that's going to appreciate what is actually faith principles as well and beliefs uh, of, uh, of my larger belief system, um, then we can always find what is compulsive. Secondarily, what about faith principles or belief or from a religious, spiritual, or I guess even not um, uh, standpoint? We can always find some basic principles or not <laughs> that we can also work with. So here's, uh, here's one. This has come up actually several times recently um, uh, with, with the Bible or I suppose for, uh, for any faith, belief, worldview. Uh, if you take literature, scripture, um, there oftentimes can be this fear 
you know, what if I mishandle? What if I'm quick? What if I rush through? It can be in the understanding. It can be through uh, tearing a page, uh, for example. And a lot of people who struggle with scrupulosity are terrified of the concept of, okay, wait, so what if I'm supposed to sit and meditate on a certain scripture that's really important and you're asking me to read it really fast, stop it, and then move on, which could be the exposure. Or you're saying, what if I, uh, if it's okay with this person because of their beliefs, what if I were to tear one little corner of the blank page in the front of my Bible, for example, and that's that triggers a lot of distress, like I'm being sacrilegious, I'm, I'm trampling on God's word or, or whatever else the obsession might be. Well, first of all, I'm never going to ask somebody to do something that uh, is a principled issue, um, such as um, uh, for, uh, let's say, for example, on the Christian side of things, uh, I, I don't prescribe pornography <laughs> as an exposure to sexual obsessions. Uh, that's going to be a very consistent belief uh, across the board. Uh, to, to not do. However, what about rushing through a scripture passage? What about rushing a prayer? What about tearing the blank page at the beginning of the Bible uh, to put a person in access of, oh my goodness, what if I did something sacrilegious? If, if that is the, uh, if that's their obsession, that is an exposure that is assessed for them as, as needing to be faced, um, then we have to stand upon principle. And if there's not a larger argument doctrinally or scripturally, or they can't make a case for conscience, <laughs> uh, where there's an actual um, uh, rationale behind it, then mm. we're going to have to look at it and, and say, okay, so why do you, for example, why do you avoid all Bible reading? You're saying that you want to to read scriptures and you want to be free to read that again. Well, what, what if I rush it? What if I don't understand it? What if I uh, dishonor God's word? What if I turn a page too fast and tear it? Now we're into that on the outsider standpoint, it looks pretty clearly compulsive, but we always have to start with the principles. And it is a long way to get back to, uh, to the main point, the principle of what is exposure. Uh, we're, we're targeting those compulsions. We can do that. Uh, it's, it, we can break it down. We can find it somewhere if a person's willing to try to find it. And then secondarily, we stand upon the principles of faith uh, or religious beliefs and, and teachings, not feelings, not comfort. It doesn't matter if you find somebody else who feels uncomfortable with that, or if you're describing a task in a fellow uh, Christian or Hindu or whatever else. It's like, oh, well, that sounds like it's uncomfortable. You better believe exposure therapy is going to be uncomfortable but I'm never going to ask somebody to violate their, their faith if they say, oh, well, hey, actually, no, my denomination says <clears throat> that, you know, fill on the blank, like uh, the word of God, we, uh, we put, it, put it in a certain place and protect it and pull it out. And we're really, really careful with it to ensure that we don't, uh, okay, all right, if your denomination says that, fine, then it's not going to be an exposure. But Rather, what we find usually is that uh, a person's at a place that they have maybe some superstitious obsessions or beliefs uh, that they're going to have to break down either A, behaviorally, if they're ready, or B, uh, cognitive and belief-wise before they're actually ready to do something like that. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Um, okay. And um, just one final question. Um, if, if somebody is struggling with, you know, moral scrupulosity related to, to religion or just from a more agnostic or atheist perspective, um, fairly broad question, but if you could just give them one piece of advice, what, what would that be? <laughs> one piece of advice. Um... Well, yeah, it's not to pair it to probably what almost uh, most when I've listened to your podcast and some of the other ones, uh, a lot of times I hear some of the same things, but let's just keep it going. <laughs> Absolutely not alone. Experiencing it, it feels so isolating with these things. But secondarily, on the faith side, um, what if it's not a faith issue? <laughs> What if it's compulsive? What if it's scrupulous? I, I've talked a lot kind of on the educational piece and a lot of listeners will naturally be triggered by just the content, but secondarily, as I described the exposures and yeah, um, these words. That's like, a good idea. That's a good question. Yeah, what if it's not? Yeah. What if it's not that? And actually yeah. you're just exhausting yourself, uh, exactly. you know, for no good reason. Exactly. And that's, that's a part of the whole uh, cognitive therapy side and, and Socratic questions that, that we use, because at the end of the day, I'm never going to force anything upon anybody who comes into a session, but I want to get them on that journey of doing business with uh, OCD, if they have it, and doing mm -hmm. business with uh, faith yeah. and, and all of that. And so asking yourself the, those questions, like, what, what if it's yeah. not a faith? concern and, and what are the options if it's not <laughs> yeah i really like that approach uh encouraging people to to come to the conclusion themselves absolutely you yeah. know to recognize that yeah actually i really do need to do this because you know mm -hmm. if not i i see the alternative and i really don't want it you know and and mm -hmm. when when we come to the conclusion ourselves then it's, uh, it's so much more likely that we're actually going to get on and do the, uh, mm. the, the challenging work in order to, to resolve it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for validating that because as you say that, I'm realizing too that with the podcast format as well, we're talking back and forth with a certain time limit. I'm giving some education. Uh, but one of the things that's really tricky when not actually sitting actively with a person who's wrestling with this, and a lot of people may not hear what goes on in the rooms of therapy until they do it themselves, right? Is that a lot of it is it, I spend a ton of time asking questions. I spend a minimum two sessions just getting people assessed and ready to do ERP, <laughs> minimum. And in complex cases, I'm spending multiple sessions, uh, sometimes before even doing first exposures. And in some clients, it takes even longer because they're not quite ready. Mm. Uh, and a lot of that is asking questions. Okay, how do you understand compulsions? Where are your compulsions? That's my task number one, go home and catch your compulsion. You probably know what the obsession is if you struggle with scrupulosity, but go home and find the compulsions. Well, I, I don't know, I'm just stuck mm. in my head. Okay, here's a list, go to this website, go find the compulsions. And uh, why is it a compulsion for you? <laughs> I want you to, to be able to, explain this for you and then it's just stair-stepping from there and if you recognize oh it's a compulsion and just maybe just maybe that extra 
10 minutes of prayer or 10 minutes of Bible reading or, or 10 minutes of pausing past the homeless man asking for money because I feel terrified that if I don't stop, I'm going to be a bad person. Okay, well, if you assess the compulsion, uh, what, what if it's not actually a faith issue or a moral issue? What if instead of stopping for 10 minutes to talk to the homeless person, you stop for five? Or what if you skipped one one day? What if you, and that's where the strategies come in, but it has to be after the assessment. It has to be after the questions. And frankly, assessment and questions, it happens throughout a lifetime. So I appreciate you emphasizing that. Thanks, Robert. Oh, thank you. So um, yeah, it's been wonderful to, to speak to you again, Justin. Always. You know, you're a wealth, uh, a fountain of information. So <laughs> um <laughs> No, it's been wonderful. And uh, thank you very much. Thanks. Just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session, all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.